The traits that I find difficult about Carmelo, like fear and anxiety, are the traits that I don't like about myself. Isn't that something how the dog that we kind of put in quotes as like the problem child is the one that we learn the most from? to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 20 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being with me today. Back in October, I had done the first Dog Mom and Dog Dad Roundtable, which was episode 17 of the podcast. And this topic about shy and fearful dogs really seemed to resonate with so many of you. Sean said, this is so relatable. Thank you. Anne-Marie said that she was happy to listen to the incredible stories of love and struggle and acceptance that go along with loving an extraordinary dog. The podcast resonated with her, and if you listen, you may find yourself nodding in agreement also. Kristen shared that this was so very relatable. My expectation was to have a dog I could bring to my son's soccer games. I'll never forget the first time he barked at a kid. I was so embarrassed. I had only ever had easy dogs. And also, I agree that it's okay to admit that you aren't the right fit for a fearful dog. It's a big commitment, but very rewarding. So thank you all for those lovely comments, and I'm excited to bring to you a part two of the Shy and Fearful Dog Roundtable today. Through some of my volunteer work, I had connected with Brittany Roger, the digital specialist at the Maryland SPCA here in Baltimore. Brittany reached out to me to let me know how comforted she was by listening to the Shy and Fearful Dog Roundtable episode. Brittany then shared with me some of her story with her dogs, Sam and Carmelo, and I agreed with her that this story would make for a great podcast. We're also joined by Maria Montgomery, the lead training and behavior consultant at the Maryland SPCA. I really enjoyed the opportunity to get a dog trainer's perspective on dealing with shy and fearful dogs. And I love how Maria gives examples and metaphors of training in human terms also. Brittany and Maria and I will talk about their backgrounds and what led to their jobs at the Maryland SPCA. Brittany will share her stories about Sam and Carmelo and all of the adventures that she's had welcoming them into her and her husband's lives. Maria talks to us about how to build confidence in your fearful dog, why growling is important, how to know if your dog is ready to move on to the next lesson, how to turn things into a game, the importance of observing our dogs and how they communicate with us. And we also talk about rethinking dog training and dog training at the animal shelter during COVID. So let's get started with Brittany Roger and Maria Montgomery of the Maryland SPCA. Hi, Brittany and Maria. Hi. Hi, Erin. 
So welcome to the podcast. Brittany had actually reached out to me after she heard the Shy and Fearful Dog episode of the podcast and said that she had a similar story that she wanted to share. And when I heard her story, I thought, oh, wow, yes, we need to put this out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of really validating on two levels to hear the podcast, but then to hear your enthusiasm about my experience on top of it. So do you guys want to just quickly introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about the role that you play at the SPCA, and then we will talk about Brittany's story. Sure. I am in the marketing department. My role is called digital specialist because I have such a wide array of duties from managing our social media accounts to photography, to videography, and all sorts of things in between. And how about you, Maria? Hi. So I'm the lead trainer at the shelter at the Maryland SPCA, and I I teach classes and I coordinate the classes for other trainers. So we are on a nice little plan for teaching dogs and people. But I have to say for Brittany, she is more than a coordinator. She is definitely an extraordinary master of media when it comes to the Maryland SPCA and the information we get out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cause we, we as trainers could not do it without her. Especially during COVID, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Maria, one other question I had is, are you working with training dogs that are currently in the shelter or, and, or are you working with training dogs that were already adopted into the public and helping them, you know, get more comfortable with their new owners? So yes to both. So there's a team of five trainers right now that are actively training and we kind of split up our duties. So one of our trainers works with the foster department and then all of us work with our our shelter population and help to modify a behavior of a dog that's coming in or help reduce the stress of a dog uh, that's coming in. We don't explicitly train them for CGC or for like you would your own dog, but we want them to have as positive an experience as possible while they're staying with us in the shelter. So we try to work through some skills. And that gives the the kennel staff some really good tools on working with specific dogs too. Oh, that's really fascinating. I was curious, you know, how all that worked. Oh, we teach to the public too. Sorry. I completely forgot that part of the question. (laughs) So definitely the general public and you don't have to adopt your dog from the shelter to participate in our training programs. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So Brittany, I always start with asking people, I'm just always curious if you were somebody who grew up around animals or whether that was something that you, you know, got into later in your life. Ooh, yeah. I was like a barefoot Disney princess. I <laughs> was running around in the backyard, making friends with birds, turtles, snakes, you name it. My parents were very supportive and patient with everything I brought home. And we had snakes and cats at my mom's house and snakes, fish and dogs at my dad's house. But I didn't really dive into any sort of passionate or deep understanding for cat or dog behavior 
until I started working at the SPCA. My passion and career up until that point was always focused on the the more misunderstood or what I considered to be misunderstood creatures. So the snakes, lizards, turtles, and all those creepy crawlies had my attention for a long time. I got to tell you, snakes just creep me out. <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah. Like they don't have feet, so they shouldn't move. And it just weirds me out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue with you. <laughs> So Maria, how about you? Uh, did you grow up around animals or what was your experience? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, I didn't have a desire to own an animal. And it's one of those things where we were stationed overseas. My husband was in the military and we had promised our children a pet when we moved back stateside. So moved back stateside and within a week of unpacking, my husband and two kids were looking online for a rescue animal. And I had given them this huge criteria of what I wanted. It's like no shedding, no drooling, must be potty trained. I mean, (laughs) completely impractical. And uh, they wanted a puppy. And um, thankfully, we were stationed at at the War College at the time. So everybody there was there for a year. They all had young kids. And just about that time, everybody was adopting a puppy. So we adopted our dog. Carly, short for Carlisle, there she was 12 weeks old and 20 pounds. And the weekend was the honeymoon because we adopted her on a Friday. And everyone committed to taking really good care of her. And then Monday rolls around and everyone's going back to work and school. And here I am with this dog who was chewing at my leg. And I was on my back porch that day, literally crying like someone had died. And uh, my neighbor comes out. She goes, Maria, what's wrong? And I said, I got a puppy. (laughs) And literally, that is when my journey began and just jumped in, started with, you know, just a big box store training program. And then we moved down to Texas and met a friend there who was also a trainer. And my dog became a therapy dog. So we started visiting the wounded warriors that were coming back from um, from Afghanistan and Iraq. And that's kind of where it took off. So at the time, a lot of us military spouses had deployed soldiers. So we all helped one another out. And so some of us helped with cleaning, others helped with watching kids. And I was the one that helped with the neighborhood dogs. And that was my first step into learning how to train dogs and understanding dog behavior. And it's kind of funny, if you're open to it, you don't think you know what you need in life, but you just kind of go with the flow and it kind of comes to you sometimes. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And I look back now and Carly is 14 and almost three quarters. So 14 and a half, she's an old gal. And life is completely transformed. It's when I think back to what I was before her and what I am now and the learning curve involved, it's it's a different person. It really (laughs) is. 
I I can totally relate with that. I was I always say I was somewhat of a reluctant dog owner myself. It was my husband that wanted the dog. In fact, we weren't even actually married yet. We were still engaged. We had just bought our house and he kept saying he wanted this dog and and he wanted a female brindle pit bull. <laughs> and uh he was very specific. He had been envisioning this dog in his head for like 10 years cuz he knew somebody that had one once. And that's what he wanted. So we bought our house we like closed on our house on like July 1st. And, you know, like that weekend I went on the, cause we're in Harford County. So I went on the Harford County shelter website and right there on the first page was a female brindle pit bull. And I thought, well, crap. Erin, <laughs> <laughs> I remember your, um, I don't know if it was your, your very first episode of this yes. podcast that made like a huge impression on me mm-hmm. when you said that your husband was very clear that he wanted a dog, but you took it more of like, I thought it was just something that people said, like <laughs> not my car this weekend, or I'm going to start going to the gym. <laughs> and then you found out that he was so serious. Right. <laughs> and yeah, like it was like, Oh, well, alrighty then. But yes, it, it totally transformed my life. As mm-hmm. you can imagine, <laughs> I now have a podcast about how much I love dogs. <laughs> Which I had not envisioned when I was 25 years old, let me tell you. (laughs) I can't help but wonder if that's how my my husband felt about me. Like when I, when we moved in together and I was like, I'm going to paint today. And he's like, okay. And then 12 hours later, there's a mural on the wall. And he was like, oh, (laughs) she meant it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They should know. So, okay, Brittany. So tell us about the story of your dogs. So I got Carmelo almost a year ago from the Maryland SPCA. And he was your first like dog as a as an adult. Oh no, that would be Sam. I wasn't really compatible with our childhood dogs. Not that I didn't like them or anything, but they were I, I guess just not my type, if you will. Um my dad had two hundred pound Chesapeake Bay retrievers that swam two miles every morning, even into their teens and it was a lot of energy, a lot of noise, and I, I guess I found it a little overwhelming. So when I got to the point that I wanted my own dog, I gravitated towards the exact opposite. I found this nine-year-old, morbidly obese chihuahua mix with hardly any teeth that had just gotten transferred to a local rescue from another municipal shelter where he was on the list to be euthanized because they run out of room in certain shelters and the the grubby little his grubby little face just like oh I just wanted that that underdog so much and I got him Mm. (laughs) and I got him and Adam my husband was like do we really need a chihuahua (laughs) he was open to a dog but a chihuahua and now he's like a total chihuahua dad like he when we you know used to have like festivals and expos and stuff he would be the guy with little with his little dog tucked under his arm chatting with all the ladies and their dogs and purses and stuff Um, he's totally converted and um we had a, a really rocky experience in the beginning with sam because neither of us knew a lot about dog mindsets or needs or 
we, we just ha- had like a very surface level I- idea of what dogs needed and what dogs were like. And almost right away, we were in the hospital because Sam bit Adam's face. And I'm not going to get too graphic, but it was pretty bad. And we were terrified in that ER that if we told anybody what happened, we were going to get our dog taken away or something. And it turns out that if you get bit by your own dog, there's a lot less drama from other parties. It's just if your dog bites somebody else that you get in trouble. So we were quickly put at ease that we could keep our dog that just bit him. And then we had to make sure that he wouldn't bite anybody else. And we uh, were on this deep research dive into how dogs feel, act, respond, all the things, because we wanted to know what did we do to I I personally don't believe in out of the blue, even though that's how it felt. I just already committed to not accepting that it was out of the blue. So we um, got a trainer. He came to us, um, but I know he's in Baltimore and he came to our houses like three or four years ago now. And it turned out that Sam wasn't quote aggressive. Like I thought he was body sensitive or had body sensitive. Uh, Maria, you can correct me if I'm mis- yeah, like, just sensitive to being handled, right? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'd never heard of that before, but it was totally understandable. He's a a 27 pound dog on a 15 pound frame. You know, it was uh, he couldn't do stairs, and what we were doing to him was we kept trying to not pick him up to treat him like a toy or anything, but like to help get him on the couch or in the bed or whatever stuff that we took for granted that of course he would want to do like why wouldn't he want help getting on the bed why wouldn't he want help getting under the covers but it turned out that whether it was just from his obesity and and any pain that that was causing him or if it was a lack of socialization in his childhood we don't really know but for whatever reason he's really sensitive to being touched and we had to slowly like baby step positive reinforcement with him. So he, I don't know if you can put this together at his, at his weight, he was very food motivated. <laughs> so we gave him little, like those little one calorie treats for tolerating more touching and not because we really needed to be in control of him per se, but we just wanted him to be safe. Like mm-hmm. we didn't want anybody else getting hurt, let alone us getting hurt again. When I got to the Maryland SPCA three years later, I had this fantasy that I I wanted a dog with all of Sam's good traits or what I considered to be enjoyable traits. Like Sam's really independent and quiet and low maintenance. And uh, we, we did eventually get him down to a healthy weight, by the way. Um, He's so cute, too. He's yeah. a cute little guy. <laughs> Maria, is there any way I could get you to describe Sam? Because like, oh I my gosh, he, like his yeah. tragic flaw. I didn't say anything nice about him, but there's a lot of no. wonderful qualities. That kind of reminds me of, you know, parents. We kind of pick out in our own kids the worst stuff about him, but everybody else sees all the good stuff. So I'm going to bring out the good stuff in Sam. Please. He's just this older, he's an old dog and kind of like my girl. She's an old curmudgeon so I guess he's kind of curmudgeon-y and curmudgeon's kind of it's got a nice sound to it so uh, he does work for food but honestly I work for food too so if someone was on the corner handing out free gift cards to 
I don't know, Chick-fil-A, I probably would take one <laughs> regardless of my weight. So he he participated in our on our all-star basics, which is our newest class, our on-demand class. And that was really my first experience of working with him. So so that was a lot of fun. He learned a lot of cool stuff that we're still doing. Like he learned chin, hand targeting, spin, twirl, which is spinning in the other way. We're doing puppy push-ups right now. And, And he's also really good with other animals. I don't know if I hinted this enough, but we have a full circus up in this house. (laughs) Uh, We got a little bit of everything. And I really needed a dog with no prey drive because I knew I didn't have the like the brain power to constantly monitor if my dog was getting into the rabbit cage or whatnot. So Sam ignores the cats, ignores the rabbits, ignores the turtles. He's just very... In, in his own zone and he's really non-reactive on leash. Oh my gosh. This dog is fabulous on leash, by the mm-hmm. way. You ever see dogs like, tr- like constantly tripping over the leash or getting tangled or zigzagging and all those things that can get you frustrated on your walk. Sam doesn't do any of that. Sam doesn't trip over the leash. He doesn't get tangled. He doesn't zigzag and he doesn't respond when other dogs bark at him. He is cool as a cucumber I guess confident is just a good, despite his body handling issues, he's a very confident dog. Like nothing phases him until he's touched and then then he sees red. But I wanted a dog over the the couple years that we had him. I fantasized about a dog that had all of the enjoyable traits of Sam, but without his like traumas or issues like we can't sleep with sam i mean sam's got a pudgy warm snuggly body and he loves to crawl up us and just plop down in our in between our legs or feet and fall asleep and it's tempting to let him stay there because it feels so good but if you move like if your foot twitches or you need to get up he instantly bites your feet Oh, that's no fun. That'll wake me up too. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can't, you can't sleep with him even though he tries to. Yeah. And I was like, in my head, I just built it up that there's a dog out there. That's all the good things of Sam without this issue. And I think I broke the record at work for quickest adoption from a new staff member. <laughs> I was only, I was only working there a couple of weeks when Carmelo picked me out and when I saw this dog and he curled up into my lap, I just projected everything I wanted onto him. And I thought he was going to be this fantasy dog. And he's, he's the exact opposite of Sam, it's turning out. He's fearful. He's mm-hmm. shy. He's reactive on leash. He's extremely snuggly. He's a Velcro dog. I can't get away from him. <laughs> and he snuggles the cats and the bunnies. And he loves children. I does Sam not like kids, or does Sam? Um, he can't be trusted with them because of the touching thing. Mm-hmm. But both dogs are actually really great with the kids next door rather I should say the kids next door are really great with both the dogs Lori another trainer at the 
shelter. She says that they're compassionately advanced. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah, So I, I brought Carmelo home the day before mandatory lockdown or quarantine and Sam and Carmelo got along like spaghetti and meatballs. Thank goodness. We did a very slow intro. You can't have as many animals as I do by just throwing them together. I am a big advocate for like the two week shutdown and slow intros and it worked. I thought Sam was going to eat his little brother, but they love each other mm-hmm. and we're not even a year later and Sam grooms Carmelo. He like sucks on his eyeballs and his Carmelo is much higher energy than Sam. Not high energy enough to like annoy me, but like much higher than Sam. And he he just rolls around and bounces and zoomies and jumps on him. And Sam tolerates so much activity that we never thought was like, we thought we were going to have to be refereeing for years. And Sam just has a soft spot for his brother. It's adorable. We had both of them filming for All Star uh, Basics, and they they did just that. They kind of snuggled right up against each other, like a well fit sweater, I think. You know. <laughs> so yeah, but um, Carmelo wouldn't even train with you, right? No, Carmelo. Oh, Carmelo didn't. No, you're right. Carmelo. Sorry, I was I was thinking of Sam because Sam did a little bit of training for the camera, but Carmelo. We had a little piece about him and how to work with fearful dogs and and moving at their pace and what works for them and not to push them too far. So, in essence, Carmelo did some training. He helped us understand what do we need to do <laughs> with this guy? So just because we think training isn't happening, it indeed is. We just have to figure out how to see what kind of training is going on. Because whenever you interact with a dog, there's a, there's a conversation happening and there's learning to be had from both sides. It's just a matter of noticing it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I had to um, really check myself and check my mindset bringing home this new dog because I, I I'm ashamed at how like disappointed I am because he he's a nonstop barker he's very reactive he's never escalated the way Sam does of course but like you can't go up and down the stairs at our house without setting him off and you know we have an old house we have repairmen coming over and he freaks out It's just all the mundane things that we used to take for granted, that all the things that Sam would sleep through, Carmelo just freaks out. And um, I have to check myself because I instantly get frustrated. Like his high pitched yappy bark is like one sixteenth of a migraine. So by the end of the day, I'm I'm over threshold, (laughs) but I have to, I have to make sure that I don't give into that feeling and I can comfort him and work with him and give him what he needs. And it's, and it's been a a real struggle to, to demystify what he needs and what's going on behind the curtain with him. And, and that's one of the things that's been so helpful with working with Maria and the all-star basics video series, it, it was my job it, serendipitously to edit all of our online videos during quarantine. So at the same time that I was struggling with the two dogs who turned out not to be perfect, at the same time, I was 
in a huge learning curve with dog training and mindset and philosophies and theories because I was editing all these videos. So like my understanding of what's going on with my dogs just skyrocketed and opened up this whole new world of how I can be a better mom to them and not feel like so ashamed <laughs> of not being satisfied sometimes. And so how old is Carmelo? Five. And so he was, you know, like three, four when you adopted him? No, we got him less than a year ago. So Okay. So still like, so how did, when did you start to realize, oh, he's a fearful dog? <laughs> like how did that play out at first? A couple months, I think, because nobody was coming over during quarantine, right? And we adopted him the day before it started. So we got to bond with him very deeply. And that is very satisfying. I do wake up every morning with his little head nuzzled into the, into my neck. And oh. he, he's a Velcro dog. Yeah. He's, he's the, the snuggler that Sam will never be. So <laughs> I didn't get what I asked for. <laughs> it was, I think father's day. We were feeling at that time, I don't feel this way now, but at that time we thought that the virus was going to be dissipating in the summer with the heat and all that outdoorsy stuff. And we had our dads over for Father's Day. And that was a huge fail. Carmelo was so miserable and so over threshold from the moment they walked in the door. It was awful. And that that was like, I think that was when I called Maria and was like, hey, I need to sign up for Reactive Rover, I think. Yeah, that's when we first really started. We met because I met you right before the right before we shut down. So like that springtime. And I was you had such a pep and an energy about you that I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. This new media gal, she has got so much good vibes going on here. We're going to have a lot of fun. And then and then we shut down and then everything started going. It was like uh, incremental. And we talk about like taking baby steps with our dogs, but it was really baby steps and getting to know Brittany. And that was fun. And then we started working together with the lunch and learns and then the reactive Rover module one, which is our online webinar. That's where you started with Carmelo, right? Yeah. And we learned uh, the treat and retreat game, mm -hmm. which was a, a huge game changer for when we had our handyman come over, we would do, we would give him chicken or anything high value and have him do the toss. And instead of luring the dog to him, it's you toss the treats far away so that the dog doesn't feel like you're trying to push his boundaries. Did I explain that right, Maria, to anybody who who's never done it before? It's giving them a break. Yeah, I think you did. But it, in essence, it's just giving them a break to and, and a break by space. So on a human level, it would be like if you are at your family's Thanksgiving gathering and uh, your aunt is coming to give you a big hug and you don't want to hug this aunt and your mom says, can you go back in the kitchen and give me, get me the platter or something that gives you the break you need to go back and kind of collect your thoughts and collect yourself. So that treat 
retreat game gives dogs breaks. It gives them space where they feel safe. And it's always about feeling safe regardless of the behavior. That's like your foundation. If my dog feels safe, I can go on to the next step of whatever it is I want my dog to do. So for Carmelo to feel safe, you gave him a break from having to face those those repairmen coming to your house. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it felt like some stuff felt like a chicken or the egg thing. Like a lot of dogs I learned feel better behind a barrier. So they feel safer from the stranger, but my dog's a Velcro dog. He don't want to be behind a gate. He wants to be at mommy's hip. Mm -hmm. So that, that was, it was nice to do online consultations so that we could get like customized advice rather than, trying it can be hard when you're a novice like me to apply information to your own situation so the the zoom calls and the consultations were fabulous and then as we continued from june to now this training journey with carmelo i mean sam's been on it too but he's been like an a a plus honor student so but with carmelo i learned that when he accomplishes something or any fearful dog, I suppose, accomplishes something, they feel better about themselves Mm -hmm. and then they can get more confident. So I've been approaching Carmelo less from the perspective of how to make my life easier with him and more about how to build up his confidence so he can be a happier dog and switching my priorities or my mindset over has been a big weight off of my shoulders to just focus on like encouraging him and building his confidence and letting that upward spiral build. Isn't that something how the dog that we kind of put in quotes as like the problem child is the one that we learn the most from. And Mm -hmm. then we, we learn to figure out what works for the dog as opposed to what works for us. And that's like the most uncomfortable part of learning is getting into a situation where you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? And then you learn how to pay attention and how to notice things that you never noticed before. So that that's a journey. And, and it's, it's a constant journey too when it comes to building up the confidences of your of your pets. So it's kind of nice to see how you've in just in less than a year, quite honestly, have jumped in and tried to decode Carmelo (laughs) and speak his language. My brain is exploding, but so is my heart. I've also had to like learn to accept (sighs) the traits that I find difficult about Carmelo, like fear and anxiety are the traits that I don't like about myself. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I know it hurts. I'm a socially anxious person. I mean, thankfully Maria likes me, but I I, do. I adore you. You make me smile. And I have to say, when she leaves the room, it's like, you know, there's people out there who recharge you. And then there's people out there who suck the life right out of you. And she is in the recharge pile. So I, I agree. I appreciate that. But I, I've struggled with uh, anxiety and depression for as long as I can remember. Like, first grade Brittany, like, was a mess. And and it's just one of those things things that I have, if I'm going to accept these, if I'm going to accept Carmelo for who he is, then I need to accept those traits in myself, or at least handle it with a a compassion 
rather than just disdain. And it, it it's particularly like a, a good anecdote is that um, the I keep referencing the kids next door because they're amazing. And uh, they're in their teens now. You know, they were younger when I met them seven years ago. And I've watched them grow up essentially. And boy, howdy, do I not envy teens right now. I mean, I didn't like being a teen when it was my turn, and I don't think it's gotten any easier. And they struggle, even pre-COVID, you know, they struggled with social issues and bullying, and they just deal with so much stuff that I forgot about or I'm past or I never had to deal with, and I'm just so not jealous of them. But they ask all the time if they can come see Carmelo or if Carmelo can come over, and he just lays with them. And they just lay there together and he, he gives the kids so much comfort when they're having a bad day. And I don't, it gets me really choked up to see um, that even though he's like this five pound dog and they're teenagers and I am who I am, we all have like this common denominator. Yeah. Dogs are pretty special like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the, it reminds me of why people are attracted to dogs in the first place. I think like that they, they're that non-judgmental party. That's just there for you. They don't really have an agenda either. They just kind of, yeah, what works, you know, it's pretty authentic. They can't lie. (laughs) They don't care about how you, about your views. They just want you to be true and pure, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's just something really settling about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we have our fearful guy named Nino, and that has definitely been a challenge just, you know, for my husband and I. And before Nino, we, we've always had pit bull dogs. And it was important to us to have the, you know, like the pit bull ambassador and, and the dog that puts the smile on everybody's face. And, and Nino's the biggest dog, you know, he's more of like an 80 pound guy, whereas our other dogs were more like 50 pounds. And, uh, and to have him be like, nope, he does not want anybody coming near him. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was, you know, we definitely had to readjust our expectations because that that was kind of not what we expected or, or wanted or, or had in mind. And we have very lovely neighbors who I think always are like, oh, I'm with those pit bulls. Okay. <laughs> but they've always loved, you know, we had our, our old gals, Lucy and Kalua. They were like the best, sweetest dogs ever. We have our girl Penny, who's like the sweetest dog. And then Nino is like, you know, oh. <laughs> and <he> like scares <laughs> them away, you know, and it's, I feel like it's like, oh, it's every bad thing that, that people expect or, or something, you know, this big, scary dog that doesn't want you near him and yeah it, you know there is like this emotional and this sort of disappointment and, and managing your expectations and and then having to realize well it's not really about me right. <laughs> it's about them and, and making sure that they're they're comfortable in their own skin and and one of the things we struggle I guess where that we struggle with is is where to challenge him or or how much to challenge him and yeah, we don't want him to be uncomfortable, but obviously we're never going to expand his area of comfort if we don't, you know, challenge him in some way, whether that's getting in the car or, you know, going to a new place. And 
Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that we're always trying to figure out like, is it good for us to try to make him go in the car or, or not good for us to make him go in the car, you know, and, and you just, you see him shut down and he just starts panting yeah. and, you know, he's uncomfortable and, you know, and so we'll, we'll start with like, well, Hey, do you just want to like get in the car and we'll give you a treat and then you can go back inside, you know, <laughs> and, and we'll try to do things like that. But then the day that we need to go to the vet and go five minutes up the street. It's like none of that ever happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Back at square one from the beginning of what you shared about Nino, uh, that I found fascinating was how, when your neighbors approached and he, you know, growled or gruffed or whatever his response was, that wasn't pleasant. And people are really put off by a dog that growls. And I will consistently say, Growling is great because it tells you exactly how a dog feels. Yeah. And it's a really nice, clear form of communication that says, please don't come any closer. Because <laughs> I really don't want it to escalate to the next level. I don't want to have to retreat and run away from you. So some dogs will retreat while others will go on the offense. But the strategy is to keep fill in the blank away. And, um, and people see that as a sign of, um, aggression. And I'm like, you know what, it's really much more nuanced than that. It's really just a form of vocal communication. And it's a nice, clear form of communication that we humans don't heed that often and challenging him. It's funny. You should mention him just getting in the car for, to go for a ride or for a vet visit. I have a, a private client right now who we are struggling with that as we speak. And uh, sometimes he goes in the car, sometimes he doesn't. And it's challenging. So there's some skills that a dog does that's really easy and fun and others are challenging. And we as humans have that as well. So sometimes there's things we like to do and we do them well and fluently and easily. And then there's other things that we just can't seem to get over step one to get to step two. And um, the one thing I keep going back to with dog training, but I think it applies to just life in general, is have fun with it. If possible, turn everything into a game Mm -hmm. and figure out how to find the joy in it. And where's Nino's joy And what can you change in your approach to something that you know is difficult for him and find a speckle of joy in there and work from there? A lot of times, too, we tend to move a lot faster than our dogs are willing to move. So there's a a method that we like to use called the push drop stick rules. And it's kind of like Montessori for dogs. You're going to push them a little bit harder when they've mastered the skill at their current level. You are going to drop that skill if they're not mastering it. And then you're going to stick with it if they're okay at it, but not super good at it. And so working within that realm helps you identify what works for your learner, for your dog. And when is he ready to move forward? We tend to push our dogs when they're not ready to be moved forward. And um, a good example of that on the human level is me and roller coasters. I will get on a kitty roller coaster 20, 30, 40 times, but take me to Cedar Point in Ohio and have me look, just look at that big roller coaster that does the loop-de-loops and the 
drop that makes you feel like you're falling. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going on that thing. Absolutely not. So. Yeah. The, um, I was thinking of an anecdote that's, that I recently started applying from you, Maria is, um, among everything else, Carmelo is afraid of going outside and we're trying to make it more fun for him to go outside. And one thing that you said that I, it's like, I, it's, it made so much sense, but I didn't think of it myself. It's mm-hmm. um, to train with him outside in like one or two minute increments so that when we go out, he doesn't feel like he's going to be stuck out there. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just like a light bulb and, and a way to, to make it more enjoyable for him is to... Yeah let him know that this is not a big commitment. Right. It, and sometimes it's just 30 seconds. So a lot of people, when they see their dog doing really well, at something they want them to do well at, they will keep going further and further. And stay is a really good example of that. For some reason, people like to put their dog in a sit stay or a down stay, and then they'll walk you know, 30, 40 feet away and they'll want their dog to stay put. And that is so hard to do. <laughs> and and from your dog's perspective, what does he see? He sees you moving away further and further. And he's probably thinking, you know, when we started this little game, you were just a couple feet away and then you were giving me treats and that was good. But what are you doing on the other side of this field where I can barely see you? <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> So moving just little increments, two, three minutes tops makes a big difference. Yeah, I always, I have this, I don't know if, I don't want to call it like a theory because that just makes it sound really fancy, but I have this idea (laughs) that like we need to re like rebrand dog training and we can't call it training because that makes it sound like some kind of chore. It needs to just be this a really fun way to learn how to be with your dog. And, you know, like in our house, I always say we have like manners about like, you can't go in the kitchen when we're getting your meals ready or or just, you know, you can't, you have to go lay across the room while we're eating dinner instead of being, you know, right up on the table or, or something. And, um, and, you know, how we, we teach these things. And I don't know, it just needs, I just feel mm-hmm. like, you know, we hear training and we think some big, long, you know, we think dogs like doing confirmation around a ring or, or something. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we need to just like re- rethink this. Like somehow dog training needs to like rebrand itself. <laughs> oh my gosh, I agree. And you know, there are, there's a certain population of people who like that kind of stuff, who like training, who like homework, who like striving to be in a ring of some sort. And that's fine. But the average person who has a dog in their home just wants a nice family dog. And um, I think they forget that the dog is part of the equation. And if you're not having fun, why on earth are you doing this? (laughs) And um, I used to get in trouble when I was a kid from my parents, like, you've got to have goals. And I'm like, well, yeah, my goal is to have fun. Well, that's not a goal. I'm like, well, why not? (laughs) It should be a goal. (laughs) Mine was always to be happy. So I understand that. (laughs) So I I think I know for in my own training class environment, when I teach, when we used to teach all-star canine in person, now we're doing all-star canine online in group environments. And 
in a weird way, it's working. But I'll tell my students, no, we don't do homework. We have games. And just figure out a way to include this skill that you just learned into your lifestyle. And if you start doing it for 30 seconds at a time, next thing you know, you'll, you'll be doing it for a minute at a time. Next thing you know, if you were consistent with that and you do it regularly throughout the day, those little one-minute segments, Mm -hmm. they add up. And before you know it, your dog is practicing this without you telling them what the this is. They're just offering the behavior because it's part of your lifestyle as a family. And, um, And that's really nice. So when you start seeing your dog, you know, sit for their meal or sit at the curb if you if you live in a city and you're walking, you know, down the street or it's just the first thing I can think of. I know there's a bazillion other things out there. Oh, waiting in your car when you're at a park and you open the door and you don't want your dog to bolt out <laughs> and they're just sitting there waiting while that door is wide open. That's been practiced. So they they learn by doing. So, yeah, and one of the the ways that training has been less pressure on me is keep just keeping an eye out for when they offer a behavior, which prior to, to SPCA resources, like totally over my head, never thought of it. But now I know that my dogs try to make me happy. They offer behaviors that they think is going to work. And it's a lot less pressure on, on me to just, I shouldn't say just, like we do training too, but it's it's nice to keep an eye out for those opportunities to reinforce and praise them for certain, those examples that you listed, but without me asking. And mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's a lighthearted for all parties involved that way. Yeah. And they kind of, they kind of come up with they become a partner in the training, I think, especially when you're capturing behavior. They're a, a capturing meaning you're not asking for something. They're offering something and you're paying them for what they just offered. So it's almost like um, lazy man's dog training, but it's okay. So, but they're, they're coming to the table and they're offering to do something and you are responding in kind. So it's kind of a dance in a way when it comes to working with your dog. And it is a conversation, but it's a conversation on, um, I guess, a more nuanced level because they're watching you all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, They know just by your tone and how you stand and how you bend over what you're doing with your hand. They're picking up on all of those cues because they're just watching your behavior all day long. And I, I think people need to do more of that when they're looking at their dogs, just sitting, sit on the sofa instead of watching TV, just watch your dog, mm. see what, see what they're doing. What, what, and then of course, when they stare back at you, try to break off eye contact. Like, like, Oh no, I wasn't looking at you. <laughs> I was just looking up at the ceiling. I know there's a lot of spots up there. You know, <laughs> Carmelo pays attention to me from the other room. Like even if he can't see me, he's listening for me. Yeah. Um, are in a, Slightly inappropriate, but hilarious behavior from him is like if me and Adam are in the kitchen making dinner or whatever, and he kisses me, Carmelo comes barreling down the hall like, wait for me, (laughs) my mommy. (laughs) 
Well, you know, Nino, he just knows our routines so well. And, you know, in the mornings, like on a typical like weekday morning, like the last thing that I do before like I leave the house would you know be like I'm like putting my makeup on and stuff like and then Uh I'll get like the dogs ready so like I'll be just in the bathroom you know like kind of cleaning up finishing up with the makeup I'm like shutting the cabinet and everything and just I'll hear him and he just goes and runs and gets in his crate you know because he just knows that's the next thing we do is he gets in the crate and then he gets a treat you know (laughs) Sam does that too because Sam (laughs) resource guards like so we feed him in his crate and thank goodness he was already crate trained when we got him so that wasn't like a a mountain to climb but he knows that he gets fed at seven and sure enough seven o'clock he's waiting in that crate and like giving me his little whimpers and whines (laughs) yeah they know time you know yeah they know like you know i'm you know we're at home today and it's like they'll nino will be at the door starting at like 5 30 just on the lookout for my husband you know mm-hmm. like he knows like this is when he comes home and yeah it really is fascinating to to watch them and to to observe how much they're watching us and how well they know us and you know when we had adopted our first dog lucy which was back in 2004 and then in 2005 we adopted kalua and I they were just name. <laughs> she was like so dark brown she almost looked black but like when you caught her in the right light you saw it was brown so it always reminded me of Kahlua you know yeah <laughs> but uh you know they were just the best of friends and you know I again I look back and just think like we did everything wrong when <laughs> you're supposed to bring a new dog in the house because we didn't you know we didn't even know enough to know to know that we didn't know <laughs> yeah I did that was when we brought home Sam we were clueless yeah. and um but like just watching them together it was honestly like a huge like education for me in like how dogs communicate with each mm-hmm. other and how they are communicating with us whether we're realizing it or not and I'm just you know I'm just always think like I'm just so thankful to them like and that they were so so naturally just got along with each other and you know Kalua just always let Lucy do whatever and you know like was the boss and you know just to watch that and now you know to see that in in Penny and Nino like I'm sure that if you have one dog they're always communicating with you too but for some reason it took me seeing two dogs together to realize you know exactly how it all worked yeah that's really nice. And isn't it isn't it amazing when you sit back and you watch them interact, what they're saying, whether it's, you know, their ears flickering back and forth mm-hmm. or their lip licking or their the way the tail wags. And I know a lot of people misunderstand a tail wag, thinking, yeah. whoa, this tail was wagging. I must have been happy. And I'm like, whoa, maybe not. But um, I know last week we went for a hike with uh, my son and his dog and his girlfriend, and we walked past a dog park. And I just stopped (laughs) and started staring at the dogs in the dog park because there was a whole lot of conversations going on. And it just is mesmerizing if you take a minute to just watch how they're interacting with one another. Uh, You can pretty much figure out Uh, what's being said between them. And um, you can start to learn a new language that way. Absolutely. So one thing I was just really curious about, uh, and you guys have touched on it a little bit here, but, you know, you're working at the shelter, all of a sudden COVID happens, we're having quarantine shutdown. And 
you got to rethink how you're doing everything. <laughs> and and what did that look like in regards to your dog training? And, and how did that process all come about? Because I've, I've heard you talk about the various classes being online now. Yeah, we offer all of our training currently online. Um, I think there's six different offerings. And then we have an on-demand class that we launched in January that's our newest baby to the project. Prior to COVID starting, we taught in person, just in a traditional sense. We had our our all-star canine class, which was like a basics type class. We had puppy socialization classes, reactive rover, and we were hustling and bustling, teaching our normal routine of classes, and then everything kind of shut down. So during the first couple of weeks, two or three weeks of that, we didn't do any training. And in that time, the trainers and I would get together on a Zoom or on a conference call or via a group email message. And what was really nice is we kept our communications going. And in doing that, we were dropping little things on what can we do? Because when you looked at it from afar, it felt really overwhelming. What do we do? How do we How do we help people who have dogs? And now we understood that the need was even greater because there were more dogs that were going to homes because people were interested in adopting a dog during this time. And um, it was really just putting one foot in front of the other. And it's the same sermon that we preach to our, our students, approximations baby steps. We as trainers had to start taking little baby steps. So it started out with our little core of trainers. And then we started doing, and that's, this is where Brittany comes in and she, I am eternally grateful to her. (laughs) We started doing these lunch and learns. And so a couple of us got together and we, with our iPhones, we filmed a couple of pieces of footage. And when I look back on that footage, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was some rough footage. <laughs> and then and then we uploaded it, uploaded it to Dropbox. Brittany worked her magic on it and boom, we had a lunch and learn. And from there, one of our trainers said, hey, I think we could start teaching online. How can we do this online thing? So we started exploring the online plan and did some research. And we noticed that there weren't any shelters teaching online. There were a lot of private trainers that were going in that direction, but shelters weren't doing that. So we started with one-on-one coaching and then we added a reactive rover webinar. And then we gradually added an all-star online, which is like a group class, a live group class with three students and a trainer. And then I think Rachel started a puppy socialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we call it puppy pointers. And the biggest concern there was oh, these puppies that are going into these homes are going to be under socialized. And there's this window of socialization that's so important for puppies to help prevent behavioral issues down the road. And um, our trainer, Rachel, took that one on, created a curriculum. And, and that's kind of how we got going. We started with just one thing. (laughs) And then we started adding little bits and pieces here and there, constantly checking each other out, sending feedback to one another, working in a collaborative manner. And I think it's that collaboration that really ignited everything. And so now we have six classes, six different classes, all online. I think when we move back into an in-person environment, 
we're going to keep a lot of that online stuff because it, it really has added value. Yeah. The, um, even in a post COVID world, the all-star basics is the streaming videos just for reference. Cause we just like said a lot of different services. And I think that's perfect for Carmelo because he's already over threshold if we leave the house or if a stranger comes right. over. So um, as much as I can't wait to have Maria come over and work with him, it's it's awesome to have that expertise on his level. And I guess I can't help but wonder how many other people have dogs that are like too scared or too uncomfortable to train elsewhere, but you want the expertise. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I've been thinking about Nino is we've never done any real formal training with him because we didn't want to freak him out. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's great. And I, I got to be the first happy customer, you know, cause I edited all the footage and I, my hat's really off to Maria and the other trainers who worked on these videos because y'all never signed up to be videographers or directors or anything. And that's what you had to do to work with me. (laughs) Well, it's just, I just, my only goal was to, (laughs) well, maybe not the only goal, but I wanted to keep our job as trainers relevant. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so we've got to figure out how to do this. And it reminded me how, when you are, when is something is taken away from you or you are removed from something or you lose a sense, say, you know, you lose your vision or you lose your hearing, the other senses take over and you learn a whole new way of existing and being. And even if, say, that was a temporary thing and you go back, uh, you go back a much richer person because of what you've learned during that time in your desert. You know, so this is kind of like a desert time, I think, or it was in the beginning. And we're learning how to grow, grow things, you know, with less. And that dynamic is always enriching because I think you learn your best when you're not comfortable (laughs) and you're moving forward and then you get comfortable again. No one wants to stay in that uncomfortable place a long time, but that's, I think, where you, you do the learning that sticks a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so Maria, I'm always curious to ask people who work as dog trainers, like, do you have any great, you know, success stories or just, you know, stories that, that you love to share that, that shows, look how well this really works? <laughs> oh, success stories. You know, that is a relative thing, quite honestly. That, very true. Very and true. so, well, the first thing I would say is when I'm humbled about my training and when I don't think of myself in the equation, training goes a lot better. And and that's when it's a lot more successful because it's not about me. It's about the learners, the human and the dog um, and cats, quite honestly. Cats are very trainable. When I am on my high horse And I'm like, oh, that's usually when I have epic failures. And I remember my failures, quite frankly, a lot better than I do my successes. I think that's true of all of us, unfortunately. Because that's where I'm like, ooh, I have got to make a really quick adjustment here on what just happened. Because what I just did is not working at all. And um, those, those are the... 
I don't want to say it's the stuff that keeps me up at night, but it's certainly the stuff that motivates me to dig deeper and to research a book or research a video or seek out other professionals to help me through something. Well, I always think that, it, you know, it's a sign of a good anybody, <laughs> any profession when, you know, you're open to continuously learning and taking on new information rather than kind of like having this is how I do it and, and that's it because we haven't done a lot of formal training with any of our dogs, but the, the one experience that we did have, I, I felt like I was like, Oh, <laughs> this was not a good fit for us. You know? yeah. And you recognize that too, which is really interesting. So a lot of times people will have a gut feeling about a certain trainer. And I will say there's a gazillion trainers out there. You do not have to subscribe to someone's philosophies if they don't really align with yours. And, you know, it's the first part is, you know, do no harm right? And um, does my pet feel safe? And how do I feel about this? And you can, sometimes it's just a personality quirk. Sometimes it is an actual philosophy. So I, you know, and at the shelter, we are, we're pretty firm about being force-free, being in the positive training world. So we don't use prongs, electronic devices, um, and anything to hurt the dog. We're, we're strong about that by the same token, we really don't want to be judgy about it either because everyone is learning and they don't know why we feel the way we do about, about a training method. So always go with your gut when it comes to you and your dog and moving forward in training. Yeah, I've heard people say before that, you know, maybe they tried training and it didn't work or it certainly, you know, didn't work for them. And, and I guess I'm always like encouraging people to, to not give up only after one thing. Cause sometimes you do have to, you know, find the right personality or the right philosophy or, or mm -hmm. the right fit. It can be sort of a very individual thing and, and that, you know, having, not having good success or a good interaction with, with one person shouldn't shut them down to all any, you know, ever doing any kind of training. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I heard a joke one time that says the only thing two dog trainers can agree on is that the third one's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, um, so I have, I don't know if I'm letting a trade secret out here, but it works for me. So I, <laughs> when I hear people and you can sort of tell that they want to be right about stuff, other trainers, I'm like, okay, that sounds great. That sounds really great. I don't have to, I don't have to prove to that person that, I have ideas too. <laughs> so you can just kind of keep it in your pocket and say, okay, great. I got, I learned from this particular individual, uh, something, and I will add it to my, my suitcase of stuff that I have to work with my dog. And I, every human being is really who has a dog is training their dog. So they are their dog's trainer and they are their dog's number one person to go to. So Try not to discount your own skills and to say you haven't trained, you know, well, maybe you haven't trained him with a trainer, but you've been training with him. Every time you interact with him, you're training and working with him. Yeah, that's another thing where, you know, it's like we're, the dog trainer is sort of there to train the people, <laughs> not the dog necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I say my dogs have me trained. Right. And that's true too. I, in fact, I've, that's another saying I've heard. If you don't train your dog, your dog will train you. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, they're very, they're very strategic thinkers. They will do what works for them, and they will do it in the easiest way possible for them. Why go hard if I don't have to, you know? Right. So our Carly, she never has been a beggar, but now that she's older and she's lost most of her hearing and some of her vision, at night, she will sit in front of us, in front of the TV when we're watching it, and just stare at us and just occasionally whine, but just kind of stare at us until we create something. So I've tried to do what I tell people, don't look at your dog. Uh, you're just reinforcing that. And I'm like, okay, but I'm not doing it at home. I'm actually getting up. I'm walking to the pantry and I'm getting a biscuit out. <laughs> so her strategy has worked really, really well. You know what Sam does that cracks me up? He won't move the cats out of his way. So we have like little doggy stairs going up to the beds and the couches and such. And Sam can use them. But if there's a cat sitting on the little doggy stairs, he won't like push them aside or like walk over them or handle it in any other way other than just crying at us. Like he'll just stand at the bottom of the stairs and look at us and like make his little whiny grumbles. And he's actually gotten used to being picked up. I mean, granted, we only do it on his request, but in, in those situations, sometimes like he jumps into our arms so that we can lift him up onto the couch because he doesn't want to deal with the cat. And I just find that so funny. That's progress. That's really good. <laughs> you know what? It, it, he's come such a long way. Um, he, I like to say he's gone from like an F to a C in his reactivity, it's still there. Like we, we can't sleep with him. That's never going to happen, but we can. Yeah. He, he jumps into our arms now. Like he does like this little hop to help us pick him up. And, and I can, because of, you know, the practice that we've been doing in small increments, I have to stress, we've been able to like take food from him if he's not supposed to have it. The dog who won't move a cat out of its way suddenly turns into an Olympian if there's pizza around. Like he can <laughs> do all sorts of like things that defy physics if there's pizza. But I totally agree with him on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's really impressive stuff. Yeah. But um sometimes he'll get in he'll get into other things that he's not supposed to have and we used to have to weigh our safety against his like do I lose my finger or do I take this from him and you know four years ago that was a very serious thought that we had if he got into something but now I can say can I have that or trade and I'll get you know and I can successfully trade him for something fully help him into the car um, without triggering him and it's it's been such a huge confidence booster for all of us I think yeah definitely for all of us <laughs> <laughs> I mean when we make those kind of strides yeah I mean it, you know it changes our lives as much as theirs yeah mm -hmm. well thank you guys so much and, and Brittany thank you for for being willing to to be so honest to share you know these things and talk about these things that you know I I can understand you might not be 100% comfortable with <laughs> thank you thank you so much for taking an interest in this new virtual training journey that we're all on. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm personally just like very fascinated because I, you know, it's like, Oh, I'd never thought about that. And like I said, with, with Nino, like we never thought it would really be possible to, to do training, you know, with him because 
you know, he hates leaving the house and he hates anybody coming over to the house. (laughs) But it's like, oh, we we could do this now. I mean, so I think it's a hundred percent, you know, for so many people. And, you know, I I was excited to hear that the shelter was considering, you know, keeping that around after COVID also. Yeah, I, I and thank you so much for for letting us share with you. Thank you guys so much for your time today. Thank you, Erin. I'm so thankful to Brittany and Maria for sharing their stories with us. Maria has one of the coolest stories I've heard about how they were inspired to become a dog trainer. And I really appreciate Brittany's honesty and vulnerability with us. I wanted to share with you a couple different quotes that I found online. I'm sometimes nervous about sharing things because I never know if I'm attributing the quote to the proper person because I don't know if you can really trust what's on the internet sometimes. (laughs) But there are quotes that are like, happiness equals reality minus expectations. Or there's a Tony Robbins supposed quote that says, happiness is found in the absence of expectation and a continuous focus on appreciation. Here's another one. A secret to happiness is letting every situation be what it is instead of what you think it should be. I thought Brittany did a really excellent job of articulating her journey of how she expected these dogs to be a certain way, and that's not quite what she got. And that was hard for her to take at first. And again, I just really appreciate her vulnerability in in sharing that. But I think it shows, you know, our character of how we respond in those types of situations. And it's the harder option to say, oh, wait, I'm in over my head. I need help. I need to be humble. I need to ask for help. And these are things that are, are hard for us in all areas of life. And this is just another way that we can learn so much from our dogs if we let them teach us. So if there's a good thing that we can take out of COVID, at least for dog owners, it's that we now have so many options to learn training while we're in our homes. And I'm really excited about trying this with Nino. Like I said, we've never really done any formal training classes with him because he gets so fearful and shut down when he leaves the house. I just couldn't imagine taking him somewhere and having him be in any kind of mental state to be able to learn. So I'll make sure to have links in the show notes to the Maryland SPCA's online training programs. As Maria had stated, these programs are open to anybody, anywhere. You don't have to live in Maryland. You don't have to have adopted your dog from the SPCA. And you can do it right in the comfort and safety of your own home or backyard or living room. And I love that the SPCA makes it really easy and has many different options. They have sort of like their all-star basics class, but they also have specialty classes for reactive dogs, for separation anxiety, for puppies, and you can even schedule remote one-on-one dog training consultations with one of their trainers. And I think this is just fabulous. And and like I said, this is a good thing that we can see from, from coming out of COVID. And it's really amazing for a shelter to have put that time and resources into making that available. And of course, that was sort of part of Brittany's job. So we have to give her a round of applause for that also. So this will conclude episode 20 of the Believe in Dog podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you again to Brittany and to Maria. Make sure to check the show notes for any links to what we discussed today. You can find me on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores between each word. Again, I'll have links in the show notes. 
if you're interested in sharing your story or being a part of a round table, and it doesn't just have to be about shy and fearful dogs, we can do other round tables too. Please reach out to me at email. It's Erin at believeindogpodcast.com. Or you can send me a DM. And until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Mm-hmm.